Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colvin. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are for our second part in the Synchronicity versus Frontiers debate. And Jason, I've got a great idea for a video. You should play the air keyboards and I will play the air guitar and we'll get somebody else to play the air drums. What do you think? <laughs> Invisible instruments? Yes. Yeah, that sounds incredible on a wharf no. and have a lady walking around. <laughs> no, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, that, that would be absolutely the worst video in the history of the world. We, we can't do that. I don't know what I was thinking. Let's hang out. We'll be out there in our jeans and tennis shoes. We'll get some lady off the street just to walk around. Awesome tank top. <laughs> that you got at Target last night. And I'll get my haircut right beforehand. <laughs> Well, welcome back, everybody. As you can see, we're already having fun with this one. Today, we're here to talk about Journey. If you didn't catch our last episode, we talked about The Police, and we're comparing the two albums that came out in 1983. The Police had Synchronicity, and Journey had Frontiers. Synchronicity, that album was released in June of 1983. Frontiers is actually released in February of 1983. Yes, so today we will cover Frontiers and then finish up with our decision on which one we think is the best. I'm anxious to hear what you think. I really am because most of the time I have kind of an inkling of where you are. I have no idea where you're on these two. So It is very, very difficult because these are two phenomenal albums. Like I said, last episode, Police was the best band in the world, and this was their best album with the most hits in a journey. This one has a ton of hits. It's got my favorite of all Journey songs to kick things off, and so it's a hard choice. I'll tell you when we get there. Okay. Stay all tuned. Right. Okay. <laughs> so let's jump in. You know, the only member of Journey that was an original member of Journey is Neil Schoen. You know Neil Schoen's story? The only thing I really know about him is that he picked up the guitar at like age five and he was born at Tinker Air Force Base, which is about 20 miles from where we're recording right now. So, Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I doubt he remembers Oklahoma, but we'll, we'll claim him anyway. Right. He is in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. So we're claiming him. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Neil Schoen. I'm sure he tells everyone he's from Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> this band was very nearly named Oklahoma City, but instead they settled on Journey. <laughs> right. Well, they had, some, they had some wild names to go through, but let's back it up a little bit. So Neil Schoen, after obviously the big important part about being born on Tinker Air Force Base here in Oklahoma, he ends up in California, has a turntable in his room, listens to Jimi Hendrix and Cream every night, falls in love with the guitar, and I guess that sleep hypnotism work because at 15 years old, he is an amazing guitar player already. He's a professional guitarist by age 15. You and I have talked. We both have 15-year-old boys in our house right now. The idea of him going out on the road and playing in a rock yeah. band. It's kind of weird how that 15 thing keeps coming up. I mean, you had Eddie Murphy doing stand-up when he was 15. You had Rick Allen, who started playing with Def Leppard at age 15. And then you have Neil Schoen, who's playing the guitar at 15. It's, it's crazy. But he got noticed, <laughs> of all people, he got noticed by Greg Raleigh, who was the key Keyboardist and lead singer for the band Santana. I mean, Santana. I mean, that's a big time band. It's huge. He joins yeah, them mean, at age 15. I mean, we're talking, they played at Woodstock. I mean, this is this is not <laughs> small potatoes here. I mean, these, these guys are an amazing band. And this guy, Greg Rowley, was so impressed with Neil Schoen's ability at age 15. He would go and pick him up from high school in the morning, not after our school was done. Because it <laughs> right. was just like, listen, dude, you don't need to bother with school because you were going to be a rock god. Okay. So come on. Herbie Herbert was manager for Santana 
at the time and he heard Neil Schoen play and he was like, we need to have this guy come around a little bit because he was blown away, blown away by a 15 year old. Neil Schoen is a phenomenal guitar player and I think he's vastly underappreciated. We talked in our Van Halen podcast about Eddie is a rock god, but when he wants to, he can make his guitar sing and Neil is that type of guitar player. It always complements the song. He never stands out there and says, look at me, watch me go crazy. His guitar always helps the song in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and to say that means a lot because this time in history was, it was all about the guitar solos. And so he definitely had that opportunity to be out there and being that guy. But I would say that it took some doing, but he, he appreciated what they were and where he needed to be in the scheme of things and didn't try to, didn't try to take that that spotlight over. So he joined Santana. And I mean, it's crazy. You watch some of the old Santana videos that they have that are all psychedelic and weird Technicolor DreamWorks things going on. And he's just a baby out there with his guitar playing with these guys who are veterans of the hard rock scene. But he's amazing. I mean, he, he's, he's a baby, but he's like, as they said in Bull Durham, the gods reached down and touched his hand and his arm became a lightning bolt, you know? <laughs> so he doesn't stay with Santana. Yeah, well, Herbie Herbert says, hey, guys, you know, we need to do something different. He and Greg Raleigh, they split off. This was kind of like part two of Santana. And obviously, they're not going to be Santana because Carlos Santana is Santana. You can't really take that from him. So they go out on their own and they start this band called Golden Gate something or other. I don't even remember. Golden Golden Gate Gate Rhythm Section, we think. Yeah, I think so. That sounds good. It was not a good name. It was a horrible name. (laughs) (laughs) Tinker Air Force Base would have been a better name, but. Yes, or Oklahoma City. It was. (laughs) All of those would have been better names. And so they're a band unlike the journey that we know today. I mean, they they are a band that is in the kind of fusion rock, progressive rock scene, which is a lot of instrumental solos. That's the band that they were for a long time. And they developed a significant following as that kind of band. They did, but they didn't have any hits. Yeah. They were were selling tickets. They weren't selling any records. And and CBS was like, hey, guys, you want us to keep playing for your concerts? You better give us a hit. Something we we need something we can play on the radio. And Herbie Herbert realized we need a singer. We need a singer who can sing well. And they went through a couple of guys that just didn't quite have it. And in the meantime, while all of this is going on, you got young Steve Perry, who's been playing in rock bands, going through those same motions that early rock and rollers go through. And he actually gets in with a band called Alien Project. Looks like this band is going to be good. You know, they've they've got a decent song. They're just about to sign their record deal. And then the bass player gets killed in a car crash with a train. And when he dies, the band dies. I mean, Steve Perry at that time felt like, man, just when I'm on the cusp of my dreams coming true, whatever it is, the universe is stacked against me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He felt like that was my chance and now it's dead. Yeah. He went back home. I mean, he was he was done. We're, we're talking about Steve Perry, who arguably has the greatest singing voice of the 1980s. Journey is arguably the definitive 80s band, at least the definitive early 80s band in my book. I mean, if you want to say, what was the sound of 1980 through 1985 for bands? I'm going to go, well, Journey. Journey's a pretty darn good example. You could do a lot worse than Journey, that's for sure. They had this formula of pumping out hits that everybody liked. Bon Jovi was kind of that towards the latter half. And just everybody sort of mainstreamed like these songs. But before they get there... Herbie Herbert is thinking, what do we got to do to get a decent hit? We got to have a singer. And he's going through these demo tapes. And he hears this tape and he's like, don't tell me that this is Steve Perry because I just keep running into this guy. And sure enough, it was Steve Perry. And he's like, all right, where is he? And somebody's looking and they're like, "Uh, looks like he's living back with his parents and working on a turkey ranch. (laughs) (laughs) 
And he's like, no, really, what's he doing? And I, nope, that's what he's doing. He went back home. He had no money, and he's working on a turkey ranch. And he was grateful tubes. to have that job. His <laughs> yeah. stepdad's like, hey, come back home. You can fix the turkey cages. I'll give you a paycheck. And he was like, oh, thank God. So when Herbie Herbert calls him up, he's like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. No, you know, I got to pay rent. I got to. I don't know. I, I got here. a guy on the other <laughs> line selling some white walls. <laughs> and so Herbie Herbert says, I tell you what, I'll pick up your paycheck for a week. Which, <laughs> I mean, you know, what in the 70s was probably like 35 bucks. Or right. Something. So he, Herbie Herbert, is, is making plans to fly him out there. And so he plays a demo of Steve singing for Greg and for Neil. And both of them are like, no, hard pass. No, don't, not interested. No, this guy's a crooner, right? We don't we we want somebody who screams and we want to play our music loud and we're gonna rock. And Herbie Herbert says he's going to be the lead singer of this band. That's the end. And thankfully he did that. I mean, where would we be without Steve Perry? I mean, this band would be in obscurity. Right. So Steve gets flown out, he meets Neil. They actually kind of hit it off, surprisingly. Neil's obviously against him at the beginning, but they get to know each other. They end up hanging out at a hotel room in Denver, and Neil starts playing a little bit on his guitar, and Steve starts singing some lyrics, and they literally, in five minutes, write the song patiently. Nice. So it, it looks like it's going to be a good fit, right? Neil decides, okay, I don't need to be the rock god. I don't need to be the guitar hero. I want to put my stuff in there, but I'm not going to overpower this guy because this, this guy's got chops. I mean, he's got a great voice and the audience, you know, their diehard fans were like, what's going on a little bit. But a whole lot of people were like, hey, these guys sound good with this new lead singer. They were getting some more radio play. They were getting more tickets sold. And it looked like it was going to go well. It's funny because a band is kind of like a basketball team. You get one or two great players and all of a sudden you've got a great team. You get Neil Sean, who is an amazing guitar. And you pair him up with a voice like Steve Perry's. I mean, I could play drums and they could pump out hits. You know what I mean? Right. So both Neil and Greg Raleigh both kind of pulled themselves back you know they said okay this is a new direction that we're going and it seems to be working that sounds good we'll do that unfortunately the drummer Ainsley Dunbar didn't really feel the same way I mean he was a hard rocking drummer and he wanted to bang his drums and as the band went on Steve you know Steve is was a kind of a reserved guy he's not a cocky in your face kind of guy but when they start having more success with him singing he starts to assert himself and say listen you know I, the drums are overpowering what's going on you need to pull it back and Ainsley Dunbar is like no I don't I like drumming hard and I'm gonna drum hard and eventually it just you know came down to an ultimatum and Ainsley Dunbar didn't win that one. Yeah, he's out for sure. Yeah. So then they replace him with the drummer from Montrose, throwback, Steve Smith. Then they do a tour. Things are going well. They're actually having a whole lot of success, writing some really great songs. And Greg Raleigh comes to Herbie Herbert and says, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Like, what? You know, we're having the biggest success we've ever had. And he's like, I know, and I don't understand it either, but I just don't want to be in this band anymore. And I'll just tell you what, I don't think that you're going to be with these guys very long anymore either. That's interesting. I mean, yeah. getting off the train as it's leaving the station, it, it's always an interesting decision looking back, you know? Well, I mean, he was, I mean, they were on their way to the destination. I mean, it was, he was there right. when, they, when, they were, when they were making some big hits, but his departure ends up being a huge blessing because what happens is Jonathan Cain joins the band to replace him. And Jonathan Cain is responsible for so many of their hits. He really, really adds that hit-making formula to the band. He's got a very similar personality to Steve Perry. They're very much about the music. They're very 
kind of self-conscious, but very good at what they do. And so they immediately form a camaraderie. And at one point, Kane starts playing this melody, and I'll play it for you right now. And Steve Perry's like, hey, that's good. What is that? And he's like, oh, it's just something I've been messing around with. You know, I played it for John, but he he wasn't really interested in it. So John is John Waite from the band Baby. And right. bad English as well later on. But yeah. yeah. So John Waite hears this melody that ultimately ends up becoming open arms. And he's like, it's kind of sentimental rubbish. I'm not interested. That's ridiculous. I mean, he turns down one of the greatest power ballads of all time and yeah. then goes on to make Missing You, which is one of the biggest weenie songs of the 80s. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk I mean, about sentimental rubbish. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but when Steve Perry hears this melody for open arms, he puts the lyrics to it. He's like, yeah, this is good. I, this is just, I know this is going to be a hit. And Jonathan Cain's obviously in love with that idea. And Neil Sean's like, uh, this sounds like Mary Poppins. What is this crap? <laughs> and they're like, okay. He goes, I don't know what I'm going to, what am I supposed to do in this song? And they're like, Neil, just chillax, man. It's just, you don't have to be the guy in every song. He butted heads with them during the recording. Like he would, he was mad. It was one of those standard prima donna tantrums. And then once they have it down, they play it in concert later on. And the crowd goes nuts of course. And then Steve looks at Neil and Neil is just like in, in shock. He's like, what? I, it, it had no anticipation of how they were going to react to this song. Thankfully, he said, you know what? I changed my mind. I think I can play this song and I think we can do more like it. Yeah. All right. So, so the song that we've just been talking about, Open Arms, was off their Escape album, which came out in 1981. Huge, huge power ballad. You've heard it a billion times. That album also contained a song. Oh, you may have heard of it. It's called Don't Stop Believing." Uh, I think, God, let me think about that. <laughs> Pretty sure I've heard that one. Could you hum a few bars? Uh, no, I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, you have these two major, major songs right at the beginning of the 80s. So that brings us to 1983, where we're going to talk about Frontiers. Right. And I got a question. I failed to look this up. I feel like it was not 1983. I feel like it was 1984. But do you know what year the Journey video game came out? It had to be 83. It had to be 83. I played that game in the arcade. Yeah, I played actually in Fort Smith, Arkansas. They had that game in the arcade for a little while and then it went away and it was devastating. And then um, the big new movie theater opened up, the AMC, and they had the game in the movie theater. And I found myself oh, yeah. going to the movie theater just to play the game. I, I probably missed out on the beginning of a few movies because of that game. I mean, you walk around with Neil Sean and he's you're shooting out of the end of your guitar. Favorite song, favorite part of the game. Loved it all. <laughs> I think what they play, uh, they played. Um, they played like separate ways. Yeah, Neil Sean was the one doing separate ways and shooting things with his guitar. Yeah, 1983. It was out of 1983. Bingo, bongo. And it has the it has the logo. It has the same logo as the Frontiers. Yep, sure does. Yeah, which to me is, I mean, that's every time I think of Journey, I think of that logo. I don't think of the Beatle or anything else like that. It's always the the large blue head. Which that game, you know, our one of our listeners, Arlen Bullard, pointed out to me that that game and the Tron game are very similar. Which, thinking back, they are. Yeah, definitely, very, very similar. Yeah, and so you even that big head is kind of similar to the Tron giant head and the rainbow spinny thing. Both awesome soundtracks on a video game. I mean, I I, I could just stand there and listen to people play the game. <laughs> Yes, for sure, for sure. I got to give a quick shout out to, I told you, I've got these two women that I go to church with who are 80s music freaks. One was Melissa Mingle, and she helped me with synchronicity. The other is Cindy Smith, and she was a big Journey fan, and I was asking her what she remembered about Frontiers. Uh -huh. What she told me, she was a freshman in high school. She got caught sneaking the car out 
at a friend's house and got grounded and could not attend the Frontiers concert in Oklahoma City. Oh, dang. Devastating to her. And I thought, that oh, is man. a very 80s moment. She said her friend didn't get in trouble, still got to go. She was oh. grounded, couldn't go to the concert. Oh, that's rough. That's <laughs> rough. All right. Frontiers was released February 1st, 1983. Are you ready to dive in and talk about the tracks? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the first song, the first track in the album, Separate Ways. I'm banging my head right now. <laughs> yeah, it's so freaking good. Such a good song. I mean, you, I don't care about any other song on this album. This song seals the deal for me. Fan freaking tastic. It's a great song. It's a pump your fist, sing along, top down, turn it up, summertime, <laughs> yeah. crank it up. You know, I've said it before. I was listening to this when I've been running. This song gives me legs more than any. Like if I'm, if I'm like even and I'm like I can't make it, I'm like okay. Siri plays Separate Ways. <laughs> <laughs> Separate Ways has this great, I mean, pounding chorus, you know? Yeah. And the synthesizers and the guitar. This is one that I was... He Perry's vocals, my gosh. You, you've you got this very interesting thing where you've got this melody playing, the... And so it's the same melody, but then the chords change. So despite the fact that the chords are changing, the melody stays the same, even over different chords, sounds perfect. And then the bass keeps pumping this same bass line throughout the whole thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful mixture of musically that I, you know, I just sound like Chris Farley, right? I love it. <laughs> it was really great. <laughs> okay, so this this song was actually written in 1982 while they were on the Escape Tour. Um, yeah, so that's kind of unusual for them. Yeah, Jonathan Cain wrote this on a $30 Casio keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. I mean, he had the same keyboard that like I had at my house. <laughs> <laughs> the $30 one you get at Radio Shack, right? <laughs> so this song reached number one on the Hot Rocks, number eight on the Hot 100. Number one that week, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. Flashback episode one. Yeah, That guy's always in there spoiling people's fun. He's He blocked Pyromania, he blocked Synchronicity, and he's blocking Journey right now. It was a good thing the police blocked him for at least a little bit. For a little bit before yeah. he took back over. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so this one, the, the basis for this song, while they were on tour, Neil Schoen and Ross Valerie were both going through painful and expensive divorces. And Perry said to Kane, hey man, there's got to be a more soulful way to look at what's going on. And they worked up after Jonathan had put the music together on his $30 Casio keyboard. Perry does the melody and the lyrics and they're like, yeah, this is actually this is actually pretty decent. And so they show it to the band. They work, I mean, like you said, they were on tour while this was going on. They work on it during their sound check. You know, like before <laughs> the concert starts, they're like, okay, let's see if we can play this. They work on it for a little. I mean, you, you don't have that long on stage. They work on it for a little bit, and they played it that night. Played it's it incredible. that night live. Love it. It. I mean, I think I think Steve Perry even had to like mumble through half the lyrics because he couldn't remember what he had just written <laughs> three hours before. <laughs> but people went insane. Listen to what Neil Schoen said about the song. He said, okay. like many other songs from this band, Motown mixed with R&B and blues. So that's what Separate Ways is. But it's got heavier guitar than an R&B. But he said, that's what I think makes it sound like Journey. And then they decided to make the video. <laughs> Let's talk about the video. <laughs> I have an idea. Let's have the band that some of the best musicians of all time play the air. 
Jonathan Kane is like he looks like a a bear or something. Trying play. so hard. I, I can't even imagine being the band and the director. I mean, you, you get got to remember this is early early eighties. So you know you get guys who the day before were directing like a Bud Light commercial or something. I mean, it's just, <laughs> those no are the way. directors you have for guys because nobody's thinking. Nobody's got coming out of USC going. I think I'll make us a music video because nobody cared. Nobody knew what that was. It was insignificant. And so you get this director who's like, okay, you guys, let's put your instruments away. Okay, what are we gonna do? You're gonna play your instruments. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> no, it's going to be awesome. They're invisible. And then we'll flash them in, and all of a sudden you'll be playing them for real. Oh, my and gosh. And then, oh, hey, honey, you're, you're one of the guy's girlfriends? Okay, I want you to walk across the screen. Just, just walk across the screen. <laughs> yeah, actually, when Steve Perry showed up, and he had just cut his hair. Like, I mean, he had his, <laughs> had his fresh mullet going on. And his girlfriend, Sherry, who the song Oh, Sherry is all about, who he dated all the time that he was in journey she was livid about the fact that there's another girl in the video and she's a good looking lady but i mean how do you come to the video i mean you're not like a world-renowned actress or something how do you come in and say i don't like that some other girls in this video it's crazy crazy and then crazy. you see the video and i don't even think she, i don't even think steve perry and the random very very 80s looking girl <laughs> even in the same scene one time it's it like he was kissing her my gosh she just walked in front of him while he was singing screaming in somebody else's face as she walks in between them <laughs> So Ross Valerie has the porn stash and porn glasses on. Yes, he does. And Steve Smith is wearing a foosball sweatshirt. <laughs> I mean, these guys, I just, I'm, I'm looking at this video and I'm like, did you guys like fall in the mud and have to stop at Walmart on the way over to the video? It seriously shoot? looks like that. Here? It seriously looks like they got the call. Hey guys, listen, be down at the wharf in 20 minutes. I, I'm playing now. I'm at the arcade. That's okay. Just come on over. Yeah. Where's it going to be? It's going to be at the wharf. I don't know what it is. Well, good news. There's a giant sign that says wharf across the building. It's a big, important part of the video. It's an industrial area. Nobody bothers there. Don't worry. It's, it's gorgeous. Listen, such we talked. Such a great song such a god-awful video. Okay. Let's talk about that because we talked during the Def Leppard Hysteria podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah. Pour Some Sugar on Me had a terrible video along with its great, great song. Yes. And we questioned whether or not Pour Some Sugar on Me would be as remembered as it was, as it is, because of that crappy video. Right. Well, here's right. our well, the difference. Well, but but the difference here of five years is huge as far as music videos are concerned. Well, that's true. But this video has a great song and a horrible video. Yeah, this this song is great because of the radio. I mean, it, it wasn't much longer before songs had to be great on MTV before they were going to be great on the radio. But this was still when the radio waves ruled the day. Oh man, and I, this song is great. This song is great. Okay, second track on the album, "Cinder My Love." This was the fourth single released in September of 1983. Yeah, this one was written by Jonathan Cain. He had been listening to a lot of Beatles albums, and he had this experience like he was on stage, and he got called backstage, and somebody said something about Virginia. And Virginia was like this girl he dated when he was a teenager. And they said, you know, she still talks about you and your relationship. And he said, you know, it was just one of those offhanded comments that you make. And he, he said he looked at her and, and just said, send her my love. Wait a minute. That's a song. That's a, that's a song. We got to make that a song. And my gosh, break out the Casio. This song has that wonderful 80s synth rock mix. I mean, it's just, I mean, how many people learned to skate backwards to this song? It's right. just one of, it's one of those roller right. skating rink specials, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right, couples, back out to the center of the rink. Turn it on, crank it up. 
This one, he says, I went home and I called Steve Perry up and I said, I came up with this idea and I wrote it on the spot. And a lot of stuff was just on the spot, very spontaneous. We kind of wrote with an urgency because we didn't have a lot of time together and the road was hard enough. And when we did write, we wrote very intensely. And all the lyrics were like within hours, we just didn't mess around. And so uh, once again, they have this amazing song that they put together, spur of the moment, offhand comment, beautiful song. Yeah, I love it. I love it. This reached number 23 in the U.S. charts. I'm surprised it didn't get higher, frankly. It's it's a great, it's on the uh, the makeout mix of 1983 for most people. <laughs> right. I'll give that tape back to you next week, okay? <laughs> <laughs> We're adding to our makeout mix uh, <laughs> list here. Okay, the next song. This song is called Chain Reaction. This song, I told you before, I'm listening to these songs running, and as I'm listening to this one, I feel good, but I'm like, I feel like I'm in a Rocky montage moment right now. Like, I'm Rocky running along this song, and I'm pretty sure that it's going to, we're going to do a fast cut to me getting punched in the stomach or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think this is kind of a fist pumping song. This would be great in concert. They released this. It was a video, but not a single. It was a hit on the Hot Rocks chart. It's featured in the Journey video game that we talked about a few minutes ago. Yeah, but unfortunately, this one is a song that is dated. Like, it's dated. It, yeah, if I listen to this song now, it just says 80s to me these other songs i'm like i don't care when this came out it's still good now this one i'm like this this is stuck in the 80s right here see i like this song okay and i i didn't have a relationship with it before we dove into this podcast but i like it it's catchy once again anything steve perry sings automatically kind of has a head start with me yeah but uh, i like it have you seen the video did you watch the video for this no i haven't seen the video okay so picture this all the guys that you saw in the separate ways video are now in tuxedos. Uh-huh. They look like they're at the senior prom though. They don't look like James Bond. They look like my 17 year old. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's this, you know, it's this pumping sort of rocker chain reaction. And Steve and Neil are sort of like yelling at each other. And during the course of the video, Neil actually pushes Steve to the ground. It's weird. It's eighties, but uh, does, does anybody have a tuxedo shirt on tuxedo t-shirt? No, no, it's actual tuxedos. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's yeah. good. All right, next, the number four track on the album, third single is called After the Fall. What'd you think? Well, okay, this is another song written by Jonathan Cain and Steve Perry. Peaked at number 23 on the Hot 100. This song appeared in Risky Business. You might recognize it, Risky Business. Mm, that's it. what I was going to say. Yep, it oh. appeared in the film Risky Business. That's the only fact that I about this song. Did you see this video? Nope. All right. This video, same guys from the Separate Ways video. The band, yes. All dressed in khaki pants, like Jake from State Farm, right? <laughs> now they're all falling out of the sky past an open window. What? They're falling, like you see this open window and they're like falling. They keep falling, right? After the fall. And you can tell oh they're diving God. into a swimming pool or something, fully dressed <sighs> in their khakis. Oh my word! Yeah, that that was the uh, that's the other thing about directors of early '80s music videos. Let's treat this song as literally as we possibly can. But I like the song. It's catchy. That sort of power ballad. This one, like a lot of these songs, kind of falls into that category of it's the filler. To me, this is another. This is a filler. It doesn't stand out. It doesn't belong in their greatest hits for sure. Okay. Now then, fifth song on the album. This song's called Faithfully. So beautiful, so so beautiful. We covered this one when I. This was one of the songs my band covered in high school, and just the way, 
the way the piano comes in and then the guitar comes in leading over the piano is just if it doesn't pull at your heartstrings you are a soulless creature i don't i have no pity for you every time i listen to this song it blows me away it crescendos and with when steve perry is singing that whoa you know yeah i want to pull over and light up my lighter and like wave to nobody just sway with the crowd you know it's so good this one was written completely by Jonathan Cain, and he says, God gave me that song. He I, I said, heard this. This is interesting to me. Yeah, he said he's on a bus heading to Saratoga Springs, and then he wakes up the next day, and there's a napkin on his nightstand, and he looks at the lyrics, which are in his handwriting, but he doesn't even remember writing them. He just sees Highway Run into the Midnight Sun, and he says, I got this supernatural download, and that was the rest of the song. He said he wrote like frantically trying to get it to it as quickly, put it down as quickly as it just seemed to supernaturally come into his brain. And in 30 minutes, he had written the entire song on that napkin, which he then took to his piano. This wasn't on his Casio. This one, he had his big grand piano and played it through and thought to himself, this is good. If somebody were to say, name a song by Journey that is divinely inspired, I I wouldn't have any hesitation but to say faithfully. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Brian Adams opened for Journey on their 1983 Frontiers tour. Yeah. And during that time, he wrote the song Heaven, which he believes was heavily influenced by Faithfully. And actually, on that track, Journey drummer Steve Smith plays. The guy who directed this video was found by Herbie Herbert, and it was a guy who shot NFL films, like the plain footage that you just see. So like the guy who's shooting Walter Payton scoring touchdowns is now filming Steve Perry shaving his mustache. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) That's cool. I thought this was super interesting. After recording the song Purple Rain, Prince called Jonathan Cain, worried that it might sound too similar to Faithfully, and asked him to listen to it. Cain reassured Prince and told him that the songs only shared the same four chords. I'm right. not a musician, but it's that just is interesting. The video, it's like the first road video. You actually get, I mean, throughout the 80s, I mean, Bon Jovi does it, Guns N' Roses does it, Genesis does it, Poison does it, Richard Marks, Motley Crue. I mean, everybody has this sort of, here we are out on the road making a video. It, it kind of became a staple for the 80s. I gotta say that that Bon Jovi's "Wanted Dead or Alive" is my favorite of those. I'll take I'll take Motley Crue "Home Sweet Home." So Journey hated making videos, and I can tell because they're not good. They, <laughs> they, just, they don't look like they like being there for the most part, but they couldn't ignore how much of an impact MTV was having, and MTV loved them because they were a huge favorite with the audience. And as we've mentioned before, they were really trying to promote that rock format, which was just coming back into style again. Here's the deal: when with Steve Perry's voice, and I, I know. I keep harping on this, but his voice is made for arena rock. So when you show this song being played to tens of thousands of people and you get the feel of being at the concert, I mean, the video really, I think, helped launch the song. I mean, it's just, it, they go together well. And I like the video. I love the song. If they'd right. have made this in tuxedos in a soundstage, <laughs> it would not have worked as well. Right. The road videos are, um, they're a classic. They're, they're good too. And I, it kind of, it sounds like this one was the one that kind of set the stage for that. You know, we talked about Jonathan Cain being a devout Christian. He had actually wanted to be a priest, went to the Lady of the Angel School in Chicago. Did really? You know about this? Yeah. No, I didn't. And he, he actually, there was a huge fire there that killed 95 people. He survived that, but he stepped away from his faith for a while. And then when he was going through turmoil with... 
journey and going through two failed marriages. He had this epiphany on the road to Florida and he found himself calling out to God. And he joined this church down in Florida in 2015. He married the pastor there, Paula White. And 2016, he released an album of worship music called What God Wants to Hear. It's a cool story. Yeah. Well, and he said, he said, looking back on faithfully, he started to see it in a lot, a different light. And if you replace the words, oh girl with oh God, you've got a Christian song. All right. So interestingly enough, Jonathan Cain wrote this song about his then wife, Tawny Cain. This beautiful ballad, professing his love to her. I will stand by you faithfully. They divorced like shortly after the song was released. Yeah, it's terrible. Sorry, Which is terrible. And then you just kind of go up there on stage and play this wonderful song that everybody loves about a woman that is dumping you, you know? <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for him. I mean, it's what a terrible thing to happen. All right. So that ends side one. Push stop on your tape player, kick out your tape, flip it over. First song on side two is called Edge of the Blade. Edge of the Blade, to me, this is like the biggest rocker on the album. I would call this heavy for them. Neil Schoen's guitar playing on full display on this track. They're introing side two with a big, heavy fist pumping. Yeah, this is rocking out. And it's an, ang- it's an angry song. This is an angry elf. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Perry's not using his love song voice on this one. And I can't tell, you know, it, it almost seems to me like he's singing to some record exec or somebody who's making money off him. It doesn't seem like he's singing to a girl to me. Um, you know, the contracts and lawyers and the champagne downtown, you're caught up in the power and you better see which side of the blade you're holding. I, I don't know, man. That's, to me, he's he's kind of angry at somebody who's taken advantage of their fame or something. Champagne This is a head bobber. I, I really like Neil Sean's guitar on this one. He's demonstrating what he can really do with the guitar. All right, so the second song on side two is a song called Troubled Child. Okay, to me, this track sounds like it needs to be played on Miami Vice after Crockett gets somebody killed. Yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, okay, so if Chain Reaction is like the working out montage, this is the song that plays whenever Rocky is doubting himself. <laughs> you know, at some point he's throwing his helmet, his motorcycle helmet at the statue of himself. <laughs> that's the song. This is the song that should be playing during that. It scene. is. I, I think that'd be a great idea if we could just like re engineer all of the music in, in the old movies and just throw in completely different. Oh, songs. we totally could. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. I'm gonna, so I'm going to put this on two songs off of Frontier are going to go on to Rocky 3. Okay. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> this one is, yes, it's sad and it's sweet and I knew it complete when I wore a younger man's clothes, but to me, it doesn't, again, it doesn't sound quite like Journey. It sounds like a group's trying to sound like Journey. Okay. Yeah. It's got a darker tone, but the chorus is great and I think the vocals are great. It is very dated, okay? It's the sense and the tone, it sounds... I mean, like I said, it, it belongs in Rocky Three or Miami Vice. It's probably that sound on the tape that you... <laughs> I don't know, man. If you skip past this one, I'm, I'm worried about the next two on this side. Yes, yeah. So next track that we have on the album is Back Talk. Back Talk. Heavy drums. I think this sounds similar to Joan Jett's Bad Reputation. So this is the song that I play when I get home from work every day. 
<laughs> not for me, but for my kid. Right. <laughs> no back talk. Right. I work all day making a living. <laughs> no one needs your kind of attitude, your sharp tongue. Nice, nice. Love this it. Is a, this is another angry song. We got a couple angry elf songs on this one, and this is a guy who's he's had his day, and he doesn't want any of the nonsense that he's getting when he walks through the door at night. All right, I'm not a fan of this song. This is just silliness. I mean, Neil Sean's guitar solo, I mean, is pretty good on this song. Uh-huh. The, the drums are a little bit heavier. You know, Steve Smith gets a chance to show off a little bit, but for me, this is a stinker. Uh, yeah, I really wish, I mean, the drums, I, for me, the drums on this one, I'm thinking to myself, these could be good drums if we had a better recording. Like if Mutt Lang were there and had the perfect sampling of, of drums or something, I don't know. But the, he's hitting them hard, but the, the, the recording on this is just not good for the sound of the drums. I mean, I don't want to bash it. It just lacks heart. But I do want to make mention, okay, Troubled Child is the one we, we listened to previously. This is the one that belongs in Miami Vice, in my opinion. Then we have Backtalk, which we both agree, you know, not that great. Right. Okay? Dog ear those because... Those were last second additions to Frontiers. Okay. And the songs that they replaced, I want to talk about here once we get to the end of this tape. It sounds good. Yeah, okay. let's do that. All right. So the fourth track on side two is a song called Frontiers. What do you think, Dave? This is, I mean, this, this song really had the potential, I think, to be a big hit for Journey. I mean, it's got that. It's got that solid lead. It's got Steve doing his great voice. The only problem, I think, is that I have no idea what he's talking about. I can't understand what he's saying. <laughs> it's funny that you say that. To me, this is my least favorite song on the entire album. Um, there's no real chorus. There's nothing to sing with on this one. It gives the album a good title, but it's my least favorite track on the entire album. This is your least favorite track on the yeah, whole album? It, yeah, You sure. like this less than Edge of the Blade and less than Backtalk? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah, yes. now we're on different pages on this one, my friend. We're on the same page as far as there's a problem because you don't have anything to sing along with. I mean, that yeah. is the difference that this that, that makes this song not a big hit. Had you had a something that is understandable and sing-alongable, the rest of the song is great. The melody is great. The instruments are great. That's why I wow. listen to Journey. I want to sing along with Steve Perry, you know? I mean, <laughs> right. I guess, but... But I mean, even if I get, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'd pick listening to this song a hundred thousand times over either one of those last two. <laughs> okay, so that brings us to the last song on the tape, a song called Rubicon. Rubicon, in my opinion, is the best song on side two, and it's not even close. Well, okay. I don't dislike the song. I mean, it's it's all right. I guess side two is just not really a very good side, honestly. This song's okay. I, I can't say that it blows me away. I like the guitar as it comes in. The melody for the verse is kind of humdrum for me. The chorus is solid, and it's got this jungle-esque kind of feel. I don't know why I said that word. It's just got this... <laughs> it's It's got this... It, it has an eye of the tiger, not the song, but just kind of the, the, the attitude. Uh, feel about it, I guess. But but this to me, again, it, it's one that doesn't stand the test of time. It's still going to be one of those ones that I, I got to go, okay, this is a generic 80s song, you know, if we're just picking generic 80s songs. Okay, okay. I, in my opinion, I think this could have been a successful single. I think it's every bit as good as After the Fall, for instance. Crossing the Rubicon means to make an irreversible decision. It's kind of like burning the ships. But right. I, I like it. This song is a good, this is a foot tapper for me. Put a cool video with it. I think it's every bit as good as After the Fall. 
So you mentioned that the two songs that we find the least favorite on the album were Last Minute Throw-Ins, and they actually ended up replacing something else. Right. Troubled Child and Backtalk were last-minute additions. This, to me, is the most interesting story regarding this album. This was a huge success. I mean, this sold 6 million albums in the U.S., right? Charted as high as number two on Billboard. But they put in two crappy songs and and took out two potentially, I mean, huge songs. They removed, at the last second, they took out a song called Only the Young. Yes. And they took out a song called Ask the Lonely. Both of these were top 10 hits down the road. Right. And maybe, who knows, maybe they, maybe that was their thought. Maybe they were like, there's too many good songs on this one. We don't know that we're going to have a hit on the next album. Let's save these to be hits. You think? I think that that is a legitimate theory. Yes. We know we've got Faithfully, we've got Separate Ways, we've got Chain Reaction. Why would we try to make Thriller when we can stretch this thing out and make more money? I think yeah. that's a legitimate idea. But only the young, you may recognize, it's it's on the soundtrack for Vision Quest. Right? Yeah. I, I had this, the soundtrack for Vision Quest. I love this song. It is a fantastic song. So at some point, the band gets this letter from a mother who's frantic uh, in her letter. And she explains that her little boy, Kenny, loves the band. He loves, loves the band. All he wants to do all day is listen to the band. And... He's dying. He is dying of cystic fibrosis, which is a terrible lung condition, makes it difficult to breathe, but like hearing Journey play gives him light in his life. And she writes the band to say he doesn't have much longer and it would mean the world to him if you guys would come to see him. And so they read this letter and they said, let's go. Let's go right now. And so they go and he's, I mean, he's in his hospital bed and they come in and his eyes light up and his breathing improves and he feels, you know, he's just, he's ecstatic at being able to meet these guys who are his, his heroes. And it's like the pain goes away for a little while. And then as it happens, they happen to have a tape with only the young on the tape and no one else other than the band has heard this song yet, right? Nobody's heard it. They haven't released it. It didn't come out on Frontier. That's right. It, it's Vision Quest isn't out yet. This is going to be. This is an up and coming. And so they're like, "Would you like to hear the song that we that we're going to release next? You know, on our next album." He's like, "Oh, that'd be great." And they put the headphones on him, and the way that Jonathan Kane describes it, it's like it looks like he has gone to heaven. And twenty four hours later, he went to heaven for real. Yeah, it was uh, a momentous and life changing moment for every member of the band. Yeah, I mean Jonathan Kane, when they ask him about this, I mean he breaks down and not just not just wipes tears, but is broken over this event. It's incredibly touching. But the song has an interesting history. They actually sold it to the band Scandal, which it was on their Warrior album in 1984. Which really, I, yeah, and it has Patti Smythe, who I think has a one of the best female rock voices of the 80s. Check it out. All right, so Only the Young would become a top 10 hit in 1985. The other song that was left off is a song called Ask the Lonely. This song was left off of Frontiers and placed on the Twist of Fate soundtrack. Twist of Fate was a movie that starred John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Remember that one? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say Grease? (laughs) 
Because I thought you said something else. <laughs> the, the, the song uh, is Grease Lighting. No, I'm just kidding. But this would become a, a hit from that soundtrack as well. So, so you have two vastly better songs, Ask the Lonely and Only the Young, left off of Frontiers and replaced with Troubled Child, which... Yeah, don't use your term. They're stinkers. These are stinkers. <laughs> they're stinkers. But for the sake of this argument, we've got to leave Only the Young and Ask the Lonely off. off. Okay? Yeah. They don't count. Nope. Um, We're talking about the albums that came out in 1983, not the reissues that came out in 2006. We got to compare apples to apples here, right? Yes. All right. So, are we ready to get down to it? Let's do this. It is nut cutting time, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Think about Stuart Copeland's shorts, and that's what time it is. Uh, I can remember coming over to your house for a run one day, and I had the shorts that were like a little shorter than the shorts I really usually wore, and and your wife went, we call those nut cutters here. (laughs) (laughs) We got to decide, you know, looking at these two, I'll I'll go ahead. I'll go out there. All right. right. So let's just, let's, let's start with frontiers. We've just to do a quick track listing. We've got separate ways, center my love, chain reaction, after the fall, faithfully, edge of the blade, troubled child, back talk, frontiers, and Rubicon. To me, I'm really only excited about the songs that have lasting value on this, which are separate ways, center my love, and faithfully. I mean, the other songs are all right, and I'm okay to listen to them, but it's not like I turn them up when the radio would play them if the radio still played them, which it doesn't. So really, three. I'm looking at three songs here, separate ways, center my love, faithfully. Whereas I enjoy the other songs and don't enjoy a couple of them at all, only three songs doesn't make this a strong enough album for me. Now, I will say, Separate Ways is the best song by the definitive early 80s rock band. And so that that has a lot of clout with it. I mean, that weighs heavy on the scales for me. But overall, when I then look at synchronicity, I mean, you have got several songs. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, Separate Ways weighs heavy as almost as much as Mother weighs against on synchronicity, <laughs> right? Right. Okay. So then on synchronicity, you have Synchronicity 1, Walking in Your Footsteps, OMG, Mother, Mrs. Grindinko, Synchronicity 2, Every Breath You Take, King of Pain, Wrapped Around Your Finger, Tea in the Sahara, and Murder by Numbers. Okay, so one of those songs is definitive for the band, and that is Every Breath You Take, and it's the most played song on the radio. In addition to that, you've got King of Pain, you've got Wrapped Around Your Finger, and you've got Synchronicity 2. All of those are mind-blowing hits and i really enjoy synchronicity one and i really really enjoy murder by numbers and i dig tea in the sahara i won't skip past tea in the sahara walking in your footsteps is one of those acquired tastes omg and mother i'm gonna fast forward through them probably every time miss grindinko it just depends on the mood them in but overall synchronicity is a better album it's got more it's got again a monstrous hit you got monstrous hit on frontiers but it's not enough to save the totality of the album in my opinion what are your thoughts sadly you've stolen my thunder but here's the deal okay now can i say this can i say that when we started this out when the way this conversation began you were going year by year and you're like here are the bands that i didn't like and when you hit 83 you put the police and i went what? And that's how this that's how this podcast became a thing. So okay. go ahead. Go Let ahead. me talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So when we started this podcast, the first time, and like we said, we had not had a, a prior relationship really with either of these two albums. 
I would call myself a journey greatest hits type of guy, right? Right. Give me the greatest hits album. I'll listen to. Awesome. I had it. I, I owned it. Uh, police. I the police. I'd never really had an album by them. Okay. I was familiar with their hits, but never really fell in love with them. They seemed a more mature band. That was somebody my mom or my uncle might listen to. Okay. So when we started this, I listened to the first four songs of Synchronicity. I texted you and I'm like, this is a landslide for Journey. Yeah, you did. Right? Yeah. I did. And I fully, I thought, man, what are we even wasting our time thinking about debates on this? But I listened to Synchronicity 2, Then Every Breath You Take, King of Pain, Wrapped Around Your Finger. You know, I'm not big on Teen the Sahara, but Murder by Numbers is fun and interesting and sophisticated. Dude, those are mammoth songs. Yeah. And when I look at Frontiers, if you have only the young and you have Ask the Lonely in there instead of Backtalk, we've got a discussion. But I'm with you. Separate Ways and Faithfully are mind-blowing songs. Chain Reaction, I think, is good. I even like Trouble Child a little bit. I like Rubicon a little bit. But everything else is just kind of filler. So very surprisingly, I am going to say Synchronicity is the better album. Holy cow. I'm doing my little happy dance right now. Are you surprised? I, I'm, yes, I'm, my mind is blown. I'm just like, what, what, what? Oh, I'm surprised what? to hear myself say that. I really I, am. I can't believe it. Like, I, 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 this, is must, this must have been how you felt when I picked Pyromania over Hysteria. I just, <laughs> even though you still pick Hysteria over Pyromania, it's just the idea that, that the, the taking the time with both of these albums that you've, you went from, I don't like these guys, to they have the better album than the guys that I loved at the time. That's... That's amazing. That's that's awesome, man. That's great. I think I think I texted you about a week ago and I said, Synchronicity's got its hooks in me. Uh, yeah, I guess I missed that one because yeah, you texted me today and you're like, hey, do you know which one you're picking? And I'm like, yeah, of course I do. I mean, and and you had me convinced. You sent me that landslide text and I called or texted back and I said, I don't know. After listening to the first four songs, I don't know that I can argue for Synchronicity. But once you hit Synchronicity too, it's a clear winner. And then again, I went back. Just it just takes a little bit of time with some of those other songs, and you're like, no, nope, these are actually good too. Synchronicity one is a really good song. One of the things that kind of helped me make my final decision is today I was listening to Frontiers in my car, uh-huh. and I wanted to switch to Synchronicity. Nice. So that is nice. I mean, how can you really argue with that? I mean, that's, no, that's what it. my heart wanted to do. You know? Yeah. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, I, can't <laughs> wait, I cannot wait to hear what you, our listeners, think about these decisions and, and your opinions on it. Where do you put it? Do you, does Frontiers hold up for you? Do you think we're crazy on picking the police? Please check with us on Facebook. T- tweet us on Twitter. You can reach us at Shirley Podcast on both of those formats or email us. You can email us at ShirleyPodcast at gmail.com. But we'd love to hear what you think as well. I have had a fantastic time getting to know these albums and I'm having a blast doing this. I hope you guys are having fun listening to us. Send us some suggestions that you think would be good matchups. We'd love to have that. Yeah, absolutely. We've gotten we've had quite a few folks send in ideas, and some of them, some of them were like, "Yep, that's right. That's what we need to do." Yep, yep. D, appreciate you, man. Yeah, you too, man. It's been great. I look forward to the next one. Okay, we'll talk to you later. All music images and movie clips are used for the purposes of commentary and education in conjunction with the fair use agreement under the U.S. copyright law.